Goed. Are you well tonight? I'm glad you came to church. It's a good place to be. It's the best place to be on a Sunday night. We sing more beautiful than other people that are singing at the moment. You know who I'm talking about, eh? All right, okay. So uh, I was praying for rain, but it didn't come. God is not vindictive like I am, you know. So anyway, let me talk to you a little bit tonight about not wasting your life. Because it is easy to waste life. Is it easy even as a Christian to spend lives and, and just live it on the bare minimum and not give God everything? So I want to talk to you a little bit about not wasting your life. Listen to Psalm um, 57 verse 2. It says, I cry out to God most high. Listen to what it says. To God who fulfills his purposes for me. So there's a balance here, and I want to highlight it a little bit tonight, that God has a plan for your life. For every individual sitting here today, God has a plan. It doesn't always mean we reach that plan and we live that plan because choice is involved. But God has a plan. And that's why I want to encourage you not to waste your life, but it's to live it up to God's purposes. I read a book a while ago, and I'm Carol and I reading through it again, John Piper. I don't agree with all his theology, but I'm sure you can say the same about me as well. All right, so, but there's some stuff in this book. I think, man, this speaks to me so much as well. So John Piper tells a story about his dad who was an evangelist. And his dad would go out preaching the gospel and, and, and speaking, uh, um, uh, reaching people with the gospel and passionately leading men, women, and children to the Lord, making altar calls and so on. And he came home one day and he was told his family, and John Piper was a young man at this time, and he told his family and says, guys, this story, there was an old man, and for decades people have prayed for this old man to give his life to the Lord. And he was now at the end of his life, yet failed to respond. His heart was hardened through all these years, resistant to the gospel. And yet on this occasion, when John's dad preached, this old man, as he preached and introduced to him, the old man would run to the front and grab the evangelist's hand and shout loud and weep uncontrollably. And repeated these words, wasted, wasted, I have wasted my life. I don't want to take your funeral or you mine. And one day have somebody cry out and point to my coffin and say, wasted, wasted. This man has wasted his life. I don't want to say that about you as well. So John Piper says this made such an impact on his life. It actually stayed with him the rest of his life. And as a young man, the impact was so phenomenal that right through his life, these words would ring in his ear, wasted, wasted, I have wasted my life. There is an English script by C.T. Studd. And it hangs in some homes, and maybe you will recognize it. And it says this, only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. I want to put this up in my home. I think I knew some people when I was young who had it at, in, in their lounge as well. Only what will last, only what is done for Christ, my dear friend, is really going to last. It doesn't mean you've got to change your job or your career to make an impact or be a pastor to do this. It just means that every person... That at the end of our lives, what is going to be in the scale, what will be the passing rate is what we have done for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, one thing I've worked out in my life is that it is going so quickly, Lee. It is going so quickly. Life is just flashing by. It is clear that I've only got one life to live and this life is going quick. 
Some of you think, Rulof, I'm less than 20 years old. I have got a long life. I've got many more years in front of me. I've got lots of time to make decisions. I thought that yesterday as well. It feels like yesterday when I was 20, Alan. And I'm hitting 60. I know you're about 10 ahead of me and so on as well. But life has passed so quickly. And what I'm trying my best and saying, Lord, as I run this race, maybe the last couple of laps of my life, only what I'm doing for Christ is going to last. You see, the thought should both produce in us two things. This thought that my life should not be wasted should produce two things in my life. One is a healthy fear. A fear, like John Piper says, he feared that at the end of his life, that that is what he would cry out himself as well. And it changed his life. That fear, he changed into a passion. And that's the two kind of emotions that we would feel. And the balance should be in our lives tonight as well. Is that there should be this healthy fear that, God, I don't want to stand at the gate one day. I don't want to face you one day. I don't want to close my eyes one day with these thoughts. I have wasted my life because I've not lived for you to the full extent. And yet there must be a passion in us. The balance here is that this life is going to count for the glory of God. That life is going to count for the glory of God. I will make a difference for Him. Here's a burning question I want to ask you tonight. I'm going to leave it with you to think a little bit. If I ask you this question, what would it mean for you? These words, do not waste your life. What does it mean to you when I say, do not waste your life? You see, maybe I'll rephrase it in a more positive way by saying, what would it mean for you to live your life well? What changes would you make tonight if you had a moment to sit down and say, you know what, I'm going to make some changes to, so that at the end of my life, these words will not be part of my vocab. See, most of us, including some of us sitting to here, is living a minimal life. What do I mean by that? Let me explain. There's a minimal life. We're asking questions all the time. What is permissible? Young people come to me and say, when is loving somebody or demonstrating love to somebody, when does it become sin? It's a wrong question to ask. It's normally a lukewarm Christian or a cold Christian that asks that question. Because you see, some of us live this minimal life. We just want to know what minimal morals are just to make God happy. Minimal significance just to make life count a little bit. Minimal impact out there. Minimal service in church just to be acceptable. It's the wrong question. What is permissible? The real issue is, Lord, what is the essence of my life? What is the essence of this life? What is it really you want me to do? And I know some of you have struggled with that question. Let me, let me, let me highlight songs, two songs of people who uh, some of us will remember and some of us will not remember. The first one is a singer called John Lennon. Have you heard of the name? Okay, John Lennon. There's a song that he sings. The song's name is this. Nowhere man. A nowhere man. This is the words. He is a, a nowhere man, sitting in his nowhere land, making all his nowhere plans for nobody. Doesn't have a point of view, knows not where he's going to. Isn't he a bit like you and me? Is that the song of your life maybe tonight? As you're sitting there with John Lennon, you say, I'm just a nowhere person in a nowhere land, making nowhere plans. Somewhere I don't have a view. I don't really know what I'm going. 
And this is what I want to challenge you for. You don't have to be a pastor to, to say that you're making an impact. Wherever you are, God can call you to make an impact on the lives of people. Bob Dylan sang a song that has words like this. It says here, how many, the song's names are, by the way, is Blowing in the Wind by Bob Dylan. I'm not going to sing it. My voice is not so good tonight. How many times must a man look up before he sees the sky? Yes, how many years must one have before he can hear people cry? How many deaths will it take till he knows that too many people have died? The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. I don't really know what he meant because I've never met this dude, Bob Dylan. But what it could mean for you and me is that people are looking in the sky for answer. I know who's in the sky. I know who has the answers. I know who does give purpose. Maybe Bob Dylan didn't understand it, but I do. I know that God has the plan and has the answer for your life and my life. <coughs> it seems like we are just going around the mountain and around the mountain all the time. We're doing the same stuff. We're making the same mistakes all over again. And we're coming up the same questions all the time. What is the purpose of my life? I think it's pretty simple. And I'm going to give it to you tonight. A very simple statement. And I hope that it will make an impact on your life. Because it's not that difficult to understand the purpose of God. Because most of us, Carl, when we think of the purpose, we think of what my job should be, how much money I should make, and, and, and the impact in the community I should make. I don't think that's the right starting place. And I'll get to that in a moment. All right, so let me give you quickly six pointers, six points that may, six signs in your life that may indicate that you're missing the purpose of God. I'm not going to preach them all. I just want to mention them. Six signs that you may be missing the purpose of God. Number one is you're living in blatant sin. I don't have to go anywhere else. That's full stop. If you're living in blatant sin, you're missing the purpose of God for your life. Full stop. All right? No more discussion about this. Maybe the second thing is that you lack joy and excitement in your life. And we've gone over that a few times. I think that life is and can be fun in spite of the circumstances that we are in at times. Let me tell you, there is joy, and joy is not connected to, to, to what happens to me. Joy is something that is in my heart that God puts there, that I allow God. It is a choice that I make. We went to the T20 on Friday night, some of us, and some of us were on TV, Bridget. I, I really had a pause to see my face. I was like behind you. Like, I paused it and I took a picture and said, that's me. Bridget was life, uh, was twice we were this big on TV. And so we're watching this, <coughs> the T20, <coughs> and I see that some people only get joyful when Castle Lager speaks loud. You know, and I see these guys, the more drunk they get, the less they watch the game, and the more happy and stupid they are. But there were two Indian fellows. And I watched them. They had nothing to drink. But man, were they happy to be there. They had the crowds. They had us singing. They had people dancing. They sang songs I didn't understand. Songs I didn't know existed. They would sweep and wipe people into. It was amazing. And I thought, you know what? <clears throat> what makes them so happy? I know what gives, puts joy in my life. And it's not Castle Lager or even a cricket game. But there is a, you see, because the Bible says in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is, and then one he mentions, joy. 
if God is really in my life, there should be a sense of joy in my life. There should be demonstrated in my life as a believer. So if it's not there, I think we are missing the purpose of God. I'm not preaching a whole sermon on this tonight. The other thing that I think is a, is a pointer that you are missing the purpose of God is that you don't feel much fulfillment in your life. You're just going around the bush. Life is just wandering and thinking and if and maybe. And there's not really a sense of fulfillment in your life. You wake up in the morning and there's nothing really rewarding for you when you come back at night. It's just a day that you have just, you just walk through it. I think you're missing the purpose of God in your life. Number four, you miss the purpose of God <coughs> when you work so that you don't have to work. You work so that you don't have to work. So people go to work, they get into the office, it's pointless. They spend the day there, it is pointless for them. They then go home and the road to home is pointless. They get home and the only thing they do is sit in front of the TV like a slob and life is pointless. Let me tell you, I think that you are missing the purpose of God if that is your life. You're missing the purpose of God. Because let me tell you something about joy again. Let me come back there. Ecclesiastes 8 verse 15 says this. Here's an amazing thing that Solomon says. Listen to this. Peter, he says, I commend joy. It is like I recommend to you clover milkshake. Or what is it? What is clover again? That stuff. I recommend chocolates. He says to you, I recommend joy, Solomon says to his hearers. And I thought a little bit, he says, in other words, he says, I think it's a good, good thing that you have joy. So how do I get it? It seems like it's something that I can put on. It seems like it's something that I can choose. If he says, I recommend it to you, and he doesn't give me the idea of how to get it. So surely it's something that I can put on. And then he says this, listen to this. I commend joy to you, for a man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days. In other words, he says, you know what will take you through your work every day and make life better is joy. So you can go to work with some joy on your face. I like that. Joy should character, if you haven't got joy in your life, I think you're missing the purpose of God. One or two more quickly, is you don't have the purpose of living the purpose of God if you just feel stuck. Change, make a change. If your boss is here, don't make a change tonight, tell him tomorrow, not at church, okay. The last thing here is if you have no sense of direction, you definitely are missing out on God's purpose. So let me tell you again, my dear friend, please do hear me. Don't waste your life, live your purpose. If you read it very nicely there, uh, not all of it is in the orange, the purpose should have been in the orange as well. Don't waste your life, live your purpose. Everyone, just help me to understand what that purpose is. I think it's very clear from Scripture. Let me take you there in a moment because there's two sides of the coin. One side of the coin is this, is that God has a purpose for every individual. God has a plan for your life. It is there. But the other side of the coin is that my choice and the choices I make in life influence that purpose. So here's the balance. Is God says, I have a plan for your life, Jonathan. I have a plan for your life. But your choices will influence whether you would live it or not. Whether you live it to the full extent or not. That is 
how the Bible tells us. Let me take you back to some of those verses here as well. In Psalm 57 verse 2, I've already read it. It says, I cry out to the Most High who fulfills His purpose for my life. That's what David is saying. In other words, God has a purpose for every individual's life. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 tells me what that, that purpose is. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a God's special possession, a people belonging to God, so that you may declare, that's purpose, the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. God is very clear what purpose is, is to understand his plans, His purposes for my life. I'm unraveling it a little bit. I'm getting to it in a moment. You say, still I don't really know what is that purpose then. I'll get to it. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says this. For in Him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones and powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. So now we're getting a little bit closer to this. I was created for him. My purpose is starting to unfold a little bit here tonight. Is what is my purpose? Well, first of all, I was created to praise him. I was created for him. Acts chapter 13, 36, one of Carol's favorite verses says this. Now David had served his purposes. It doesn't say that. It says, for David served God's purposes. God's purposes in his generation. And then he fell asleep. He died. All right, last one, Job chapter 42, verse 2. I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. No purpose of you can be thwarted. So God has a plan. God has a purpose. So if you're sitting here tonight and you say to me, I don't know what it is. I don't know what this, my life is about. I don't know what life is for. I don't know why I exist. I don't know why I'm going through what I'm going through. I don't know why I'm here. I, I'm, I'm battling to understand something. And listen to this. Am I supposed to be happy or glorify God? Don't answer me yet. Because the answer is not that simple. Am I supposed to be happy or glorify God? Listen to my answer to that. In 1646, in a gathering of believers in Westminster, Westminster and an assembly, they made a statement of purpose. The Church of England, the Church of Scotland, and the Presbyterian Church. They came up with a statement of purpose, and this is what the statement of purpose was. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. How simple is that? What must I do with my life? There it is. There it is. There it is. Glorify God in whatever you want to do, glorify Him. Glorify Him. So does He want me to be a doctor, a teacher, or a what? Glorify Him in whatever you do. I think it's your choice. But your choice is not whether you should or shouldn't glorify Him. That He tells us to do. I say, so they come up with a statement and it sums up exactly what the purpose is of every individual. Let me tell you a little bit about that purpose. Because some of us, it's a twofold purpose. Some of us battle to understand what it means to glorify God. And some of us are clueless what it means to actually enjoy God. And that's what, the, that's what they're telling us to do. Is glorify God and enjoy Him. 
I'm not saying, and don't get me wrong, that everything is going to be joyful in your life. But I'm saying that even in difficult times, you can enjoy God. Let me tell you something. Here's a preacher that lived many, many years ago, Jonathan Edwards. And he says this. It's, 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 it's uh, King James English, so I'll have to interpret it for you because I, I can understand this English. The glory of God does not consist merely in the creatures perceiving his perfections. For the creature may perceive the power and the wisdom of God and yet take no delight in it. But, but abhor it. Those creatures that do so don't glorify God. In other words, he's saying, you know what? You can understand all the stuff, his power and his wisdom. You can understand. You can study it. You can do Bible study after Bible study, Pete. You can learn whatever you want to about God. But if you do not glorify him or take delight in it, you're missing it. You're missing the mark. This is what Jonathan Edwards is saying. Those creatures that do so don't glorify God, nor doth the glory of God consist especially in speaking of His perfections. For words avail not any otherwise than as they express the sentiment of the mind. If you see, for some of us, faith has become something of the mind only and not a joyful experience or relationship with God. And that's what, and you can read the rest on, in this book on page 30 if you want afterwards as well, if you want to grab it from me. I think it's very clear. The Bible tells us exactly what God wants us to do. Glorify Him and enjoy Him. Isaiah chapters 43 verse 6 and 7 says this, that bring my son from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone is called by my name whom I created for my glory. Life is wasted, my friend. Life is a mess and it's wasted if we do not live it in every aspect of our lives. Not just part of it, but in every aspect of our lives for the glory of God. That's the question every moment of the day. Am I doing this that I'm doing for the glory of God? 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says this. It says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. No parts of it, my whole life, supposed to be living for the glory of God. Now let me tell you something about this word glory. Let me give you an English lesson here tonight. To glorify something means to make something beautiful. Let me give you a very practical example. My wife. If I want to glorify her tonight, I will tell you some good characteristics about this woman. She is beautiful physically, still she is beautiful on the inside. She is the best wife I could have ever wished for. She is a wonderful mother to my children. She is the bestest grandmother in the world. And I love doing life with her. What am I doing? I'm being genuine, first of all. But I'm glorifying Carol tonight. I'm just telling you how good she is. What happens to you, Lee, when you hear my words? I don't know about your mother, but maybe you're saying, I wish I had a mother like this. You can't say, I wish I had a wife like this, because you'll never have one like that, okay? That, that, let's just clear that up, okay? Let's just clear it up. Let's just clear that up, okay? All right. But that is what it means to glorify somebody or something. Now, I cannot make God more beautiful than He is. But by making Him beautiful in your ears, I am glorifying Him. And I think that's our purpose, is to make God beautiful in the ears and the eyes of the unbeliever. 
Oh, so many times we came, you're going to die and go to hell. You're a sinner, repent, and you're going to burn, and so on, which is true. But you know what? When we speak of how good and great God is in our lives, it opens the heart of an unbeliever, I think, much better as well. There's more about this glorification. Is, is, is when I glorify something, uh, the word magnify comes to mind. In other words, I, I, a magnifying glass. What do you do with a magnifying glass? With a magnifying glass, you're taking something that is minute and you make it big. But then that doesn't fit with God, does it? Because God is not small. Ah, you say, you're stuck, Rulof. No, I'm not stuck. Okay, so the word magnify under a magnifying glass doesn't fit with God. But what does fit with God is the word telescope. Because what do you do with telescope? Magnify is to put something in a telescope. Now, the, the, if you use a telescope, you're actually looking at something that is very big but very far and you're bringing it right into your own life. So when I glorify God, telescopically, if I can put it like this, I'm taking this God that is great and far and big and too big to understand, and I'm putting him right into my living room, right into my house. Many years ago, we were in the Drakensberg, and there's an Afrikaans woman who says to me, I got a very big telescope, and tonight I'm going to show you the stars. I'm going to show you the Milky Lane. Show you the Milky Lane. You didn't get it. Okay. Show you the Milky Lane tonight. And we're going to check out those stars very close. Come to my tent. I said, no, I doesn't come to your tent. I go to my wife's tent. But if we do it in the open, I will come. So, we, so we're sitting there, and there's no lights in the, in the mountains. And he puts this thing on a star, and it's like that star can almost touch it. See, that's what I do when I magnify God. It's not just for me, but if I magnify God, I make him so big. And so real and so close to people who don't know him. That is what it means to glorify him. That is part of your purpose, is to make God big among people. To speak well of him. So the second part of this Westminster, uh, Westminster's uh, um, statement is this, and to enjoy him forever. Believer, many of us battle with enjoying God. You know, you need castle lager to enjoy life sometimes, but not when it comes to God. I'm not saying you need castle lager. I say some people can only laugh when they do that. So don't get me wrong. All right? But you know what? Some of us really battle to just enjoy God. It is like, it is like difficult because some of us even think that God is using us. You know, here's this big God that tells me to love him and to glorify him and to worship him and to praise him and to, and to, and to make him big. And, and, and you think, why? Are you egotistical? God, what's wrong with you? I think the only thing that God is trying to teach me is how to really love. Because what he tells me is, if you put your attention not on yourself but on somebody else, you're actually really loving them. So if, again, if I tell you that I love my wife and she's precious to me and we've been married all these years and there's no way I ever want to have it any different. I am making her big. I'm making, and that's what God is telling me. Put your eyes on me, your focus on me, away from yourself. Glorify me, glorify me, and enjoy me, enjoy me. Now let me tell you something about enjoying God, believers. Let's go to Psalm 19 verse 1, <clears throat> quickly there. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. 
you've got to learn how to enjoy God. And part of how I enjoy God is I look at what He has made. I look at the handiwork of God. It amazes me every time I stop there. That's why I love the outdoors because when, when I look at, at, at the sunrise and the sunset, I think, what an amazing God. What an amazing God. I mean, how beautiful. What a painter. And, and when we were watching the T20, it was dark out there, and, and, and we took pictures of it, and there's a, a cloud in the form of a cone. And, I'm, and, and I must say, my mind is a little bit, it runs away with me. And I, and I thought for a moment, I thought, Lord Jesus, are you having a cone in heaven there? Are you having ice cream there? Are you teasing me? Because you know I'm on diet. I'm not allowed to eat that stuff. But yes, this perfect, and I wonder if God just says, let's spin this one. Because Rudolph just needs to see what he's not allowed to have. All right? I look at God's creation. I look at the sea. I go to the beach and I sit there and my mouth is just open in wonder because I look at the water coming a big way from I don't know where and it keeps coming and it breaks over and it rushes onto the beach and it doesn't all go back but it finds its way somewhere because more comes and the level stays the same and I'm talking simplistically here tonight but that this peanut brain doesn't understand how God works and how he does it you can try and prove it to me or speak to me like a scientist I'm talking to you like a real person who doesn't understand the bigness of God. Where does the water come from? Where does it go? And how can it just keep on coming and going? They take me up to Mount Sources and we climb up those high mountains, which is a couple of thousand meters up. And they say, this is the origin of the Tugela River. And I think it's, I get it, but it's impossible. I get it because it's happening. So obviously it's happening, but is God having an angel there that says, you know, it's impossible for water to go up, so we've got to pump it up here. And there's angels go, you know, and, 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 there's, and, and there's a spring. How does he get it up there? And people say, well, it's all the rainwater. But that water runs in summer and in winter. So somehow God keeps on getting it up there and keeps on getting it down in the river and keeps on amazing me that it keeps on coming. And when I look at this, I'm starting to think, you know what, God, that makes me fall in love with you. That makes me enjoy you. You are amazing. I, th I think we need to start all over again. Nobody's getting excited with me here tonight. I say, you have got to enjoy what God has created. Let me tell you something. God has created the stuff around us so big that you will never really understand it, but you can enjoy it. You can enjoy it. And he'll keep on doing that. He will keep on amazing you. I think of my grass. Maybe you don't care much for your grass, but in winter the stuff goes brown. And I put tons or liters and liters of water on it, and it doesn't turn green. And the first bit of rain comes, and it's green. And I say, Lord, I've wasted all my water money. It's not right. How do you work like this? I put tap loads full of, truck loads full of, I spend couple of thousand and I'm just putting water and it doesn't go green. And you send a bucket of rain and my grass is green. How do you work this? How do you work this stuff? You see, it, it is actually so simplistic when it comes to God is saying, he's saying, listen, the skies, the handiwork declares the majesty of God, the greatness of God. And I fall in love with him when I think of him like that. And you know what is the most amazing? He made it so that he can enjoy it. That's what the Bible says, and I'm putting it in my own words. So that you as well can enjoy it. 
He made it so that we can enjoy it. I go deep sea diving. I haven't done it for a while. I go 18 meters down under the water there. And I see this fish with amazing, absolutely amazing colors. I run out of oxygen underneath the water because I get so excited. And one of the first ones up because, look at that, look at that. And people go, duh. You know, we've been there a few times. And I'm so excited. And yet when I catch that fish and I bring it out the water, it's gray. I know UV and UV and movie and all other kinds of stuff. I know all of that stuff. But isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? The stuff God made proclaims his glory. His handiwork proclaims his glory. If you start telling people about your God like this, I think they will fall in love with him. Because you know what? God created you. He enjoys you. He enjoys what he has made. I think he even laughs at your jokes, Peter. Not many of us do, but I think God does as well. You know? And he enjoys, he made you so fantastic. He put us together, knit us, and then he says, you know what? Remember this. Here's the simplicity. Forget. Oh, my purpose. What is it? To make lots of money and to make an impact and to go to a different country or be a doctor or be a teacher. Forget that first. Start with the real stuff. The foundation here is glorify him. And enjoy him. Start by doing that. And ask yourself, how am I going to do that? So let's go back to my question in the beginning. And I'll close with this. If you have to answer and fill that line out there. In order for me to live my life well, I must. What are you going to fill in there? What are you going to fill in there? Go and think about it a little bit tonight. Don't just rush over this. Go home and ask yourself the question. If I want to live my life well, I must. And fill that line out. 